Hello everybody and welcome back to episode 7 of the MMA Archive. I'm excited man. I couldn't believe honestly how impressed I was coming away from this event. Um, there's a lot to talk about so let's get right into it. Uh, UFC number 7. The Brawl in Buffalo. This one takes place obviously in Buffalo, New York at the Memorial Auditorium. 9,000 people were there in attendance on this very day, September 8th, 1995. So we're inching our way once again, inching our way. Before we know it, we're going to have a couple of other organizations in the fold here. But this one is nothing to sneeze at, man. Um, our featured bout of the night, Ken Shamrock versus Oleg Taktarov. We have the winner of the featured bout in UFC 6 going up against the winner of the tournament from UFC 6. Fire. Uh, just great matchmaking. Um, interesting clash of styles, too. So I'm interested to talk to you guys about how that one played out. And then some awesome entrance into this um, tournament. We got a lot of repeating um, familiar faces that were in previous tournaments, as well as some um, brand newcomers which are going to shock you guys for real um like i said i came away extremely impressed and uh can't wait to talk about it so as always our tv announcers we got a little switch up this time we got bruce beck jeff blatnick but then we also have don the dragon wilson who's also a kickboxer uh, which i found very interesting sort of added to that dynamic before um obviously these guys are grapplers as far as um blatnick so having a striker on commentary too really helps to sort of um i guess you could see where the striking is at this point um compared to where we think it is um when you have a professional kickboxer there critiquing uh definitely helps open open your eyes a little bit to what's really going on um as far as the technique um but obviously effective striking in mma is different than um effective striking in kickboxing so can't really compare the two but as far as striking and striking goes it's good to have uh that voice of reason there on the broadcast of course ring announcer michael buffer making his second uh, appearance straight always kind of weird to see this bruce buffer <laughs> this this uh buffer brother i mean instead of bruce uh michael buffer doing his thing uh so used to see him in boxing but uh you love to see it obviously so this one, I'm not going to lie, we got a couple of sad notes. So the first one being <sighs> the first three fights of the night, the alternate bouts, obviously, um, these would determine who would step in if there was an injury or anything like that. I love to watch these, but unfortunately, I could not find tape on either of them, um, which pisses me off. They show the recap in the beginning of the broadcast, but they didn't show any highlights. Um, so I couldn't even see highlights and talk about those, which sucks. Um, but here's the um, the winners, if you guys care about that. In the first one, we had Joel Sutton versus Giza Kalman. Sutton wins via cut stoppage at 46 seconds. Next up, we had Onassis Parangao. Um, I believe he's uh, from the Philippines versus Francesco Maturi. Uh, Onassis Parangao wins via submission to strikes at five minutes, 26 seconds. So that was a, a little bit of a longer one. And then we have Scott 
Bessack versus David Hood. Scott Bessack wins via guillotine at 31 seconds. So just like that, now we're into the to the fights that I got to see. The tournament bouts, uh, we're starting there. Uh, first fight that we got is big Jerry Harris versus Paul Var, uh, the Polar Bear Varlins. Obviously, Paul Varlins is returning um, after losing in UFC 6 to Tank Abbott, who ended up going on to the finals. So interested to see how far he could get in this one. Um, obviously, representing trap fighting, standing at 6'8", 300 pounds, uh, the beast. Once again, rest in peace, Paul Varlins, um, who unfortunately passed away due to COVID. Um, he was facing off against Gary Harris, representing Kyokushin Karate. He's six foot eight, 260 pounds. It was also a former Milwaukee Brewers security guard, which is important, important to note. Uh, you got to love those little anecdotes that they have. Um, but this one started off with a banger. Uh, they both ran immediately after one another. Uh, Paul Varlins was able to duck right into a knee to the body. Um, which obviously is not what you want. Uh, Jerry landed a nice knee, lunging in, uh, but Paul actually grabbed him right by that knee and pushed him to the fence with a nice little single leg takedown entry, eventually getting him down to the ground. Um, Varlins worked his way into side control, landed some nice short shots on the ground, um, and eventually just went straight to the back, uh, which I found interesting, the fact that he was able to um, get Jerry to, to turn over and flatten out. Um, and this, this I found pretty funny, but, um, this reminded me a lot of the Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor fight, but for completely random reason. Um, the first one that is, uh, when Nate Diaz locked up the choke, he had one arm already underneath, um, the chin, but it wasn't all the way in the, uh, the bend of the elbow it was sort of on the forearm. And then he lifted it with that forearm and then just started landing strikes. And Paul Varlis did the same thing, what tried to. Uh, he had the forearm on his neck and was pulling up against Gary Harris and trying to punch to, to, to get the, um, the proper angle to get the choke. Uh, but it, it wasn't working, man. <laughs> it wasn't working. It was funny. He tried it on both sides. So he's landing shots with the left. Didn't work. Switch hands still on the uh, forearm and then trying to throw left hands to get him to, to fall into the crook of the elbow. I found that so funny. Um, he was trying really hard to get that choke, but couldn't get it on either side. Um, but finally, he just said, fuck it. And threw some downward elbows to the back of the head. And from that position, man, get has a Getty. Eddie Bravo talks about that all the time. Um, how if that's legal in the rule set, that that's what you should be doing. You shouldn't even be trying to go for a choke. And this one shows you why. You know, as soon as those elbows landed, Jerry tapped um, and finished it off. So Paul Varlins was able to come away with the win at a minute and seven seconds. And then most importantly, the big fella capped it off with the front flip, man. You got to... You got to give your shouts where you, where you get them. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, doing, a, <laughs> doing a little front flip after your fight is over. Don't, don't waste too much energy now, you know. But, hey, got to show respect where it's due. And that was a good knockout to start the night for sure. <clears throat> so next up, we had Mark Hall coming up against Harold Howard. 
I'm sure that's a name you remember. Harold Howard is making his return after losing in the finals at UFC three, uh, standing at six foot two, 240 with the mullet. You already know if you're coming, come on, then you, you already know the vibes. Um, I thought he looked a little slim down in this one, which obviously is good to note. Uh, but he's fighting Mark Hall, who's representing Taekwondo, standing at six foot one ninety. Definitely the smaller man, but you could tell he he was much more built as far as muscle uh, muscle mass than Harold Howard was. So that was interesting for me to watch. As soon as starting out, obviously it's tough to to try to pick the the smaller man outright, but. I had a sense that there, there was something in the water with this one. So I got my eye on Mark Hall. Um, and as soon as this one started, it was such a meme, man. Harold Howard comes out standing just straight upright. His chin is just in the air and he's bouncing and he's not even moving his head. He's just bouncing on his feet. So, so there's a real cadence to his movement, but he's just standing straight upright, uh, begging to be hit to be honest. Um, and it was funny for a second, just how strange that was. Mark Hall wasn't even trying to throw anything at him. He was just looking at him like, what, what the hell? Like, are we doing this? Is this what we're doing? Um, so that was funny. They had a little face off there for a little bit before any action really started. Uh, but finally Mark Hall landed a, uh, well, sorry, Harold Howard, uh, landed a front kick to the liver that actually did damage um, to Mark Hall. And you could see uh, Howard was all over him. He opened up with the flurry of uppercuts to the body uh, while they were up against the fence. And Mark Hall does whatever he could to sort of tie up um, and eventually sort of work his way off the fence. Um, Howard was trying to get a trip takedown, uh, but Mark Hall was able to stuff it. And then I found this so funny, man. At one point, Howard just said, fuck it again and said I'm going for it and grabbed him by the neck and was able actually able to get a nice trip takedown by by doing that uh you never see that just on the feet just running up to someone and grabbing their neck with both hands but it worked in this case he grabbed them and as soon as he grabbed them he stopped worrying about his feet and he was able to get a nice trip takedown uh from there <clears throat> and landed straight into into mount uh, which which for a second looked scary, uh, but Mark Hall was able to roll through and end up um, in top position. So just a, a, a hard shift of momentum there for Harold Howard. Everything was looking great uh, until he was able to get the reversal, obviously. And um, Mark Hall's working from on top, man, landing some good quick shots on the ground. Uh, eventually, you see Harold Howard is sort of leaking from his nose. It was weird because there wasn't really a specific strike that you could point to that was like, that was the hard one that landed that opened him up. Um, but there was a lot of blood coming out um, very quickly, which I, I was surprised by. Cause like, it, it didn't look like any of the shots were that damaging, but he, it was leaking like a faucet. And um, eventually I found this hilarious that I had to note it. Um, Mark Hall was in full guard, just holding Harold Howard's hair, like by the back of his head, just grabbing, holding his mullet and looking at him. And I was like, this is such a like strange sexual position you're in right now. My man's just in full guard, just holding his head, looking at him, just, look, just holding him by his hair, looking at him. I'm like, this is, this is very strange, but 
I guess this is effective offense. Um, I've been in that position myself before, um, and it wasn't it wasn't in a fight, trust. But um, eventually, Harold Howard actually decided to tap out to strikes, and I found that super fascinating because, like I said, um, it wasn't many strikes that were landing that you you would think uh, was very damaging or particularly hard shots. Um, but you got to he obviously felt something in there that, that made him want out. You got to respect that. Um, I was just very surprised by this fight in general. I think it was a very, probably the most bloody yet most uneventful fight I've ever seen. Like there wasn't really much happening. There wasn't a lot of strikes landing, um, but it was once, once they got into that full guard position and Harold Howard started taking shots, uh, it kind of kind of felt like the end. Even before he tapped out, it felt like um, all the momentum was sapped out of Harold Howard. So that was a very strange one. Just think about Harold Howard's fall, man. He made it to the finals up against Steve Jenham, um, which was supposed to be before that. He was supposed to fight Hoist Gracie leading into that. And then now he's getting bounced out in the first round of the tournament. Crazy crazy stuff but now we got two semi-finalists uh mark hall as well as paul varlance so can't complain next up a third quarter final oh let me give you the numbers on that one so that one ended sorry about that mark hall wins via submission to strikes at one minute and 41 seconds so there we go next up we got another returning face this time from a much earlier time, uh, we have Hemko Pardo making his UFC return after losing to Hoist Gracie at UFC 2, uh, representing judo at 6'4", 265. Um, he looks so different um, in this fight. Obviously, many a couple years have passed at this point. Um, really cool to see him kind of mature and grow up in that way and still, still out there competing. Um, <clears throat> and he was going up against one Ryan Parker, making his UFC debut, uh, representing Kumite, which I found hilarious. Uh, the art of Kumite, as six foot two, two thirty five pounds. Um, this one was a fun one. This one was a fun one. I'm not gonna lie. Um, so Hemko ended up closing the distance well at the beginning of the uh, the fight, and ended up in an upper body lock where. Um, Ryan Parker sort of holding on and trying to land some cheeky left hooks to the back of Hemko's head. Obviously, that's legal at this point, so it's all fair game. Uh, just landing shots. They ended up there for a couple of, uh, probably, I would say, a good minute, just sort of stuck in that spot. Um, Ryan Parker's landing shots. Hemko's trying to get the right angle, and eventually you see Hemko shift his hips. And good old judo fashion and lands a really nice hip toss straight into uh, scarf hold, which is just beautiful. Um, obviously, that's his bread and butter. Did it did it twice at UFC 2 in that elongated tournament and now is off to a strong start here. Um, and I, I found this beautiful. I'm going to talk through it. He locked up a really nice straight arm bar, which is when you're in scarf hold, which is a variation of side control, but you're more so on the head. Um and he he extends his opponent's arm in between his own legs and starts to bridge upwards. So think about it. Your arm's hanging out this way while you're in a headlock. And then he's using his hips to sort of bridge up 
and um, torque on that arm. I was really surprised that he ended up not getting the tap from there just because it looked very, very tight. Um, but <clears throat> Remco said, if that ain't working, then this will. <laughs> it starts to land some real big uh, right hands from top position. Uh, Ryan continues to hit the back of the head whenever he can. Um, just really, really a testament of like, if even if you're in a bad spot, like keep trying to do something. I mean, you could argue that energy could have used been used in a better way uh, as far as trying to get up, but he's trying out there. You can't say he's not trying. Um, eventually, Ryan Park is able to free his arm. Um, but it's still sort of stuck in the scarf hold position. Um, and that's when Hemco starts to move right into mount. And you could tell, man, Ryan Parker looks in a bad way. Um, Remco's locked up in mount. And you could see him going for it. And I couldn't believe it. Shout out to Alexi Olenek. Um, He's going to be fighting soon. But I could not believe it when I saw it, man. We got an old school Ezekiel choke from full mount, uh, which is when... Your sword is basically a rear naked choke, but on top. So it, it's a little hard to explain in that way because your arm, one of your arms is under the head. The other is over their arm. Uh, but really, really nice job locking it up. And as soon as it was in, um, Ryan Parker tapped immediately. So I was really surprised by that, getting that torque, getting that kind of pressure. Um, but we see it works it works in no gi and hey hemco comes out with the gi every time so you got to give him the respect using the gi uh to get a gi choke uh it was listed as a, a lapel choke but it, it, that's a ezekiel choke to me if, if, if i could say so myself um so hemco pardo wins via ezekiel choke at three minutes five seconds so now our final quarterfinal bout is between the newcomer Marco Huas he's listed at six foot one 210 pounds and representing Muay Thai uh, his nickname which I found hilarious is the king of the streets apparently he was a valet Tudo champion in Brazil Rio de Janeiro to be exact shout out to Jose Aldo still doing his thing in 2021 baby um, but <clears throat> Marco Huas back in the day representing uh, for his Brazilian people. Crazy because if you asked me, and I hope this isn't ignorant, this may sound ignorant, but I got to say it. It looked like Hoist Gracie bulked up and came back with no gi, like shirtless, just doing his thing. And I found it hilarious because um, they look alike. That's what I mean by saying that. But um the king of the streets, Huas, claimed to be undefeated in bare-knuckle boxing matches, um, as well as um, decided to leave out his age. I found that really interesting. He was shy. You know, he didn't want, he didn't want the ladies to know how old he is. Uh, but coming out there to do his thing against Larry Thunderfoot Curtin. You guys probably remember that name. He's at coming in at six foot two, 238, representing kickboxing and returning after taking a loss to Todd Medina back in UFC number five. Um, so this is his redemption shot, which I find pretty interesting. Um, it's not like he was in a um, 
alternate bout or anything for UFC six. So I guess he just took a little break and came back in UFC seven and got the call. So respect. Um, and man, when I kept telling you, I was impressed. I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell you it's with Marco Huas. Um, as soon as this fight started, even just walking around the cage and walking in his stance, um, Huas looked just so much more fluid than anyone that's ever competed in, in the UFC at this point. I'm, I'm being real. Um, the way he, he walks in his stance, which is obviously uh, a, a, a boxing custom, which is where um, you're in your orthodox or southpaw stance and you're you're moving side to side, you're circling about in the cage, in the ring, wherever you are. And um, just by his movement, I was really stunned just to see how how well he moved coming forward and backwards in his stance. Um, and I knew from the as soon as as soon as they are, they circled out of the the little inner cage, um, I was like, this is going to be a tough one for Larry Curitan. And that's just from movement. Um, so I, I was really, I was really surprised by this one. Um, but they started off, um, and I found this hilarious, uh, but Marco Huas went straight into a body lock. Um, I, I thought with the way he was circling, he was going to try to land some shots, but, um, from there, Larry Curtin actually tried to jump guillotine, which I found so funny. This was one of the funniest moments of the night, um, as he like tried to jump guillotine so he has the headlock he tries to jump and pull his legs up as soon as he jumps off the floor Huas lifted him up and Huas was smaller than him by a considerable amounts so I from from that point I knew that this guy was really strong grappling wise too which you don't really see um even in modern day sometimes uh when when a guy is known for being a Muay Thai striker uh, they don't have the grappling chops, but uh, Marco Huas did. And you could tell because as soon as he jumped Gilly, um, Huas just lifts him up and slams him down into side control uh, past the leg so that the, um, the, the guillotine is totally out of range now um, and goes to work, you know, super powerful, but very technical to make that decision to jump into side control from that spot uh, a little hard to explain visually but please check that one out because just seeing a bigger man try to jump guillotine and being caught mid-air like that like that's very hard to do like if someone's throwing their body back um to try to hold them up and yourself with that momentum and someone that's bigger than you uh that's just once again very impressed by the strength there by who was um but <clears throat> Hua starts to work his way from uh, half guard into mount in literally seconds. Like he he he's quick with his transitions on the ground, um, but Curitan felt it and bridged out and reversed and ended up right in Hua's guard. So I'm I'm licking my chops now. I'm like, okay, now we get to see defensively how he looks too, and it, it ain't all easy, man. Curitan lands a big right hand on the ground. Uh, that really gets the commentators going. Um, you know, he now he has a chance. Uh, so Kua starts working for arm triangle from the bottom. Aljamain St Sterling style. Um, Aljo was able to finish that against Takea Mizugaki, which was very surprising. But this is a, a position that generally you'll see people work for from 
top position, not from bottom position. So when I saw this, I was freaking out, dude. I'm like, this man's going for an arm triangle and it's close. Like you see Kiritan at many points struggling, um, struggling to breathe. He's grabbing the fence to sort of relieve some pressure um, and hold his head up so that he has a little more leverage in that choking position. And eventually he started landing some really nice rib roasters, you know, thudding shots to Huas's ribs that forces him to let go of the submission. Um, and from that moment, I'm like, you know, we got to fight. Like this, this is a fight. This isn't a, just uh, one guy who's technically superior, you know, doing, having his way with you. No, that this is a, this is a back and forth contest here, regardless of um, Curitan not having the most dominant positions up until this point. Um, so who else lets go of the submission eventually tries to um, have it to, to, to attack for an arm bar and um, doesn't have it. Uh, Kiritan's able to get his arm out and I'm, I'm just impressed now by Kiritan too, because um, obviously there's, there's not a lot of people that attack for these kind of submissions, especially with this level of speed and Kiritan's keeping up, you know, he's not, he's not getting lost at all. Uh, eventually he, he responded to that armbar attack by standing up. He wanted to get out of there and um, found himself sort of stuck against the fence as Huas tries to attempt to get an angle for a leg lock. So Kiritan standing with his back to the fence and sort of looking down at Huas and Huas is on the ground trying to attack uh, his leg. And um, Huas landed a really nasty up kick which had me once again, just super impressed, man. You don't see that often. Um, there's only been, for, to my knowledge, that I can remember uh, two upkick knockouts in UFC history. One of them was on the, con um, I was about to say the Contender Series, on The Ultimate Fighter by Tony Ferguson, uh, one of my favorite fighters ever against Justin Lawrence, which is beautiful. And it wasn't even considered a knockout because he knocked him out on the obviously he was on the ground through the up kick knocked out um justin lawrence and finished it with ground and pound obviously from top position and that's how they ended up calling it off but he was out before he even hit the ground um so that i consider that up kick knockout the other one was uh <clears throat> nico price versus james vick nico price the king of the comeback man just through it i didn't expect it at all to land and landed right on the chin with the heel which is brutal um brutal and ended up getting the finish there with some follow-up shots as well but this one who else landed that nasty up kick is legal obviously because in some instances today if you land if you're grounded yourself you can't throw up kicks because you're considered a grounded fighter uh same thing. I mean, that would be unfair if you can't kick a ground of fire, but they could kick you to the head. So you got to be really careful with that. But obviously, Huas not worried about that at all in this rule set. Um, and it lands a nasty upkick that really hurt Kirtan. Like you see, after he landed that, he's sort of stopped for a second, looking at Huas and really trying to figure out what he's trying to do. Because um, he's, he's trying to attack that leg. Um, and eventually, he ended up dropping for a heel hook and uh, outside heel hook and got it um dude what <laughs> like what um from the movement 
who else didn't even land really a lot of strikes on the feet, but just from the movement, I was super impressed. Um, uh, arm triangle from the bottom, <laughs> it didn't land, it didn't work, but the fact that he's going for it, like, that's that's not something that a lot of people have in their arsenal in modern day MMA, uh, let alone back then. Um, and then just super technical, man, going from submission to submission until he eventually find the one that works. And let's be real, like, leg locks in general, um, they've been super effective at this point in the UFC, just because those that know it, um, it seems like they have sort of an unfair advantage. Uh, but this, this, this heel hook was different. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't a knee bar, um, which is the more common that we've seen it up to this point with um, Ken Shamrock, etc. No, like this was an outside reap heel hook, uh, tugging on the Achilles and snapping that, <laughs> snapping those arteries in that. I said arteries. Oh man, oh man, snapping those ligaments in the knee. Sorry about that get it together get it together i need a sip of water after that one call in some ligaments some arteries come on man Med hey we're not here for the medical advice we're here for the fight talk we're here for the fight talk Whew. i needed that but just a super impressive finish from marco huas and our tournament uh <clears throat> semifinals are set our first matchup is Paul Varlins versus Mark Hall, uh, the polar bear. Once again, six foot eight, 300 pounds coming up against the six foot 190 pound Mark Hall. Obviously a huge size advantage for Paul Varlins that just stood out immediately. And, but he's not scared at all, man. And this one was, this one was great too. Varlins uh, runs across as he always does straight to his opponent and Mark Hall's just sort of standing there waiting. And I was surprised by that. Um, with a big guy like that, you're either trying to circle out, you're not waiting to just meet him head on. But no, uh, Mark Hall stood his ground. And as soon as he got in range, he literally jumped like a foot in the air and just throws a right hand that just cracks Paul Varlins. I was so surprised by that. Like, who does that? Like, no, nobody does that. It wasn't even a flying, like, a Superman punch, like, where you're lunging forward. Like, no. My man just waited for him to come to him, jumped in the air, and just said, huh, and landed a, a nice right hand. I was super surprised by that. Um, but gets back to space, starts throwing some leg kicks. And I'm thinking, you know, we got another Carl Worsham situation here. Like, if he stays on the outside, he could really do some damage to Varlins. Um, I mean, he already did significant damage with that right hand. But in typical Paul Varlins fashion, Varlins pushes him up against the fence, ended up working some real good body shots, and um, ended up shifting his hips and landing a judo throw straight into scarf to hold. I'm like, he was watching that, that Hemko Pardo fight earlier. He, he, he took some pointers there. Uh, got a nice uh, hip throw for the second fight in a row. And from there, which I found hilarious, instead of trying to work for a technical submission, he starts going for a neck crank, just savage, just pulling. Um, so Mark Hall's on the ground, obviously, facing this way. 
uh, Paul Varlins is in uh, side control here, and he's just pulling his head up this way, like trying to like wrench his neck. And it's just strange because, yeah, it hurts, uh, but it's not like a submission. Like it's not like you're trying to. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if you're strong enough, you could get somebody to tap with that. But just wrenching the neck, you know, usually guys could just move out the way or reset their position. And then they're not really going to be affected by that any longer. But um, just funny. I found that hilarious that he just full on doing that fake neck crank that does no absolutely nothing. Uh, but eventually worked his way into full mounts and started throwing some nasty downward elbows to the top of the head. And as soon as he landed two of them, um, you could see Mark Hall's plan changed Im immediately and um, started trying to defend his head very, very hard. And as soon as he did that, uh, <laughs> Paul Varlins just grabbed his arm and went straight for a key lock, which I, I found fascinating. Uh, not many people would think to do that in that, in that position. And it's, it's, a, it's a viable move. Don't get me wrong. It's very good uh, striking into grappling awareness by Varlins as far as finding his shots, landing his shots, and then seeing, you know, you're trying to defend with your arms that way. Fine, I'll attack, I'll attack the submission and ended up getting it done. So that was a really, it was a short fight, uh, but it was a fun one, man. Um, Paul Varlins ended up winning that one via key lock at one minute and four seconds. And let me mention this before I forget, because I already forgot. Uh, the heel hook by Marco Huas came in at three minutes and 23 seconds. So a little bit of a longer fight. Paul Varlins, both of his fights went basically a minute, uh, a little bit over a minute. So the big guy's fresh coming into the finals. Uh, but our second semifinals bout is between Hemco Pardo and Marco Huas, both guys that I was honestly very impressed with. Even in UFC 2, I was impressed with Hemco. So I was looking forward to this one a lot, obviously. Um, the king of the streets, once again. I, I, I will scream that from the top of my lungs every time I get a chance this episode because I just found it so hilarious hearing Michael Buffer. Like, it felt like it was all caps on the, on the sheet. Like, the king of the streets. Um, but... Huas came out circling again, uh, landing, intercepting low kicks as Pardo's trying to close the distance. And I wrote here, I'm like, who gave this man a time machine? Like, like this man, <laughs> in a lot of ways, is working with a modern MMA game. Like, he is allowing his opponent to advance into him and intercepting him with strikes coming in. Just very uh, methodical, very technical game on the feet, which I... I super nerded out about I'm like this guy is ahead of his time for real um pardo continues to close the distance eventually jumps onto a headlock up against the fence has um huas wrapped up and they end up stuck in this sort of standing guillotine position for a while almost over a minute where hemko's landing um nasty knees to the to the groin to the balls to the jewels uh while maintaining that headlock and then the infamous, we, we, we got to mention it. Marco Hula starts stomping on Remco's toes. Uh, the, the good old foot stomp. Shout out to Kamaru Usman. There was, a, there was a time then, it's crazy, that in this year, uh, 2021, 
uh, Kamar Usman made this big turn to being this knockout puncher. Um, when early on in his, his career, he was made fun of because he's like literally guys were like, what are you going to do? Uh, stomp on my toes? Because that's what he did in a lot of his fights. He'll end up putting guys against the fence and then start stomping on them toes. But that's exactly what Marco Huas was doing here um, while being he's wrapped up in the guillotine and just stomping on Ramco's toes, which is hilarious commentators loved them man they were they were screaming them out like like they were overhand rights like they're like oh another big foot stomp another big foot stomp um which obviously shouldn't get that much respect but it's worth mentioning that they exist um remco ended up wrapping hua's leg in between his and getting a nice takedown um where he was trying to maintain the guillotine and end up in mount but um huas did a very good job to end up in full guard, um, but it's really three-quarter guard because he had butterfly hooks. So he's really close to having his guard, um, but that butterfly hook is what's preventing both hooks from being in, obviously. <clears throat> and I just found it so fascinating that obviously he got taken down, but he works immediately for the butterfly hooks, which is good to keep your opponent elevated. And eventually he's hip escaped out of it entirely and reversed position, got right on top of Hemko. And I found this so cool, man. Hemko throws up his leg as if he's about to attack a triangle. So there's just levels to the ground game for both of these guys. And Huas is a beast on top, not in the way that he's landing dominant shots or anything like that. No, he just does a very good job at neutralizing all the threats he never allowed Hemko's left leg to come up to actually threaten the triangle it was just the one leg and as the one leg is up he's grabbing the gi pants and controlling the him um, really well uh, which is obviously in my opinion very underrated um, not easy to do um, and not flashy let's be real it's not the it's not something that the, the judges would see not that there was judges here but something that the judges would see today and be like oh he's definitely winning the round because of that but against a bigger guy not easy to do and who else is making it look easy just controlling in top position um and eventually he ends up um in <laughs> going for that same um so once again let me, let me try to explain this. He already has the head, I mean, the leg over his head, um, but he ends up, Huas, that is, ends up grabbing that leg to end up in like a single leg position, even though they're already on the ground. Um, and he he wraps that leg up and drops back for a heel hook. Um, the, the same, instead of outside this time, those inside, um, which once again, you're showing that you know both of them. It's not just you You went into that position and just said, ah, let me pull on this leg. Like, you know that you could get the heel hook on the inside or the outside. Super technical. And these dudes are sitting in 50-50 in, 19, in 1995, bro. 50-50 uh, is such a common jujitsu position now. Honestly, a lot of guys are so good at leg locks that they don't even try to take people down. They literally butt scoot as soon as the match starts and end up in this 50-50 position where basically your leg, your legs are entangled at your opponent and you're trying to make whatever adjustments you can to try to get that heel hook. Super cool to see these guys in this spot in for an extended period of time. Um, 
eventually Remco is able to escape and completely avoid the heel hook, which good luck on, on, on you for that. Um, but Huas jumps right back into his guard and uh, lands a big left hand on the ground that sort of starts to open up Hemko's guard. Um, once again, he's gripping those gi pants. And I got to say it, shout out to my jiu-jitsu guys. This dude, Marco Huas, does a freaking Toriando pass. Uh, to explain what that is, it's when um, you're standing above your opponent and they have their legs up and you're holding on to the legs with the gi pants you pull down on the um, pull down push down on them so that their legs are sort of level with the ground and then you're basically pulling yourself to the side so you're entirely passing their legs um by pushing down on them and getting right into side control and and that's what he did i was super impressed by that i'm like this dude they they only talked about his Muay Thai credentials, but this dude clearly has been training jujitsu for a long time. Like he he knows what he's doing on the ground, um, attacking submissions, a- attacking positions, advancing positions. Um, just super impressed by Marco Huas and his ability to to just have all these modern aspects of grappling and striking um, as such an early UFC. Um, like I said, just I, I'm gonna be gushing about this guy all day. But um after he ends up inside control, he stuffs his arm inside the gi, sort of behind Hemko's neck. And I've never really seen that. I guess to just use it as a good solid grip. Um, and ended up just working his way to mount. And as soon as he got into mount, Hemko ended up tapping. So Marco Huas gets the victory at 12 minutes, 27 seconds. This has been the longest match so far, by far. This one was just super entertaining for me because, yeah, there's grappling, but it's not one-sided grappling. It's, It's not that they're stuck in a position and trying to work to get out of it. No, there's, this was all terrain grappling, um, really fun fight. And super impressed by both guys, because even though Marco Huas came out on top, uh, there was a lot of points where Remco was attacking and showed his medal, you know, showed that he wasn't lost out there. Um, and just like that, we're, we're, we're here at our featured bout, almost headed to the to the finals as well. Now, this this surprised me because once again, we're already deep into the event where one match is before the finals and i look at the i look at the the, the timer and the, the timer says an hour has passed on the event but we still got 50 minutes left <laughs> so i'm like hold on hold on hold on we got two fights that are 50 minutes like we got 50 minutes left there's two fights so i'm like we're in for some shit and not in a good way <laughs> not in a good way um so our feature bout, obviously, once again, we got Oleg Taktarov, the UFC 6 champion, representing Sambo, coming in at 6'215", coming up against Ken Shamrock, who's fresh off winning that super fight against Dan Severn via guillotine at UFC 6. Same event. Uh, now they're both getting to fight each other. They listed him as 6'215", but once again, I, I will say it, 
again, since UFC 6, this guy looks like he's 245. He does not look 215. He looks way bigger than Oleg, even when they're standing next to each other. The muscle mass just much larger um, than Oleg. So I'm like, these stats be be a little bit a cap. I don't know. I I don't know if they just kept using the same stats from the first time they measured them out. I don't know, but it's clear that there's some weight difference here that, that isn't being talked about. Um, but both came out in orthodox in this fight. Ken is looking for jabs. Oleg is looking for inside leg kicks and landing them effectively. Um, but eventually Ken Shamrock sort of shoots for a takedown. And instead of resisting, Oleg just pulled guard. And as soon as I saw this, I'm like, oh, so this is how this one's going to go. Um, Oleg is holding a tight full guard, sort of wrapping up the back of Shamrock's head, obviously in a stalling position. And I wrote, you know, they ain't going anywhere. Uh, We're going to be here for a while. Um, so Oleg landing pot shots to the back of Ken's head. Ken responds by landing some short headbutts. And eventually both guys had a moment where they really flurried on the ground that opened up um, Oleg's guard because he got hit a couple good times. Um, so they ended up in that butterfly three-quarters guard um, where Ken Shamrock is trying to move into um half guard and get over one of those legs but Oleg does a good job of maintaining full guard and once Shamrock's in full guard we saw this in his featured bout against Hoist Gracie he's good at keeping himself safe so he'll keep himself safe stay in top position and land punches um, which in today's MMA could be good if you're scoring with judges but back then there's no judges so you you can't win on points. So you, you should be trying to go for an advance instead of uh, sort of stalling. But I understand keeping yourself safe and out of danger for sure. Um, so Shamrock ended up just repeatedly back in full guard. Uh, Oleg ends up um, starting to sort of, I found this funny, they ended up towards the fence and Oleg is sort of holding the fence while looking at Ken, um, obviously he's under him, and using the fence to sort of stay underneath him um, because he was trying to, like, uh, move into half guard. So I found that pretty cool, you know, as a way to sort of save some energy from um, doing, um, what is that called, Uh, hip escapes. Um, So instead of doing a hip escape, you're just pulling yourself with a cage, which I found pretty funny. A little savvy veteran move there uh, by Oleg Taktarov. But um, Ken Shamrock, whenever he can, is trying to land that right hand over the top, but doesn't really have much daylight to do so. Uh, Every now and then he'll land a a shot, and eventually he ends up cutting um, Oleg's left eye, which is the eye that he got cut in as well in UFC 5. So something to keep an eye out for moving forward. See what I did there. Um, <clears throat> in any of his fights, because that, that's clearly a susceptible part of his skin at this point um, that could just reopen at any point. But um, <clears throat> keeps sort of working to damage that cut. And eventually, Big John resets them at the 15 minute mark. So you see, I'm trying to save it for you guys. I'm trying to make it as entertaining as possible. But a lot of time is passing here. Uh, Shamrock ended up throwing a straight right on the feet that Oleg ducked under. 
um so shamrock sprawled and shamrock sprawl is heavy like you could tell that guy has some serious wrestling chops because oleg's just ducking him for a takedown and just getting like hammered by his sprawl like he he's bouncing off his off of his hips in a way um and Oleg ended up going, putting himself back against the fence and pulling guard again. And as soon as he pulled guard, I'm like, no, <laughs> not again. Uh, but we're here again um, with obviously Shamrock in top position. He ended up going for the old school uh, can opener, which is when you're holding your opponent's head and once again and doing that neck crank. <laughs> so you're pulling their head up this way and pulling them towards you on, on top. Um, I was surprised that Oleg ended up not going for an arm bar there because that's the counter to that move, sort of attacking their arm because they're putting it right across your body, uh, which is what you need. You need the arm to be down your body in order to start attacking it for the arm bar. And that's literally what they're doing. Since they're holding you like that um, from on top, they're, both their arms are there to be arm barred. Uh, but Oleg never really went for it and even when he did as soon as he tried to attack for it ken shamrock bailed on the position entirely and just ended up staying heavy on top again and landing short punches yada 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 eventually at the 21 minute mark they ended up getting reset again and you see shamrock has some swelling too now on his face um oleg is really swell swelled up on both sides but obviously he has the cut on that left eye um, and you could see I wrote here, Oleg is traumatized uh, because Ken was throwing that right hand so much as a lead. Um, he ended up fainting the right hand, not even throwing it, just fainting it. And then Oleg dived right in for a clinch. Um, so I found that funny. He sort of he sort of knows what's coming at this point, And Ken is playing mind games with him um, to try to bait him. Uh, but he ended up, Ken, that is, ended up grabbing the body lock and landing some nice left hooks uh, to Oleg and in the body and then co comes up top lands a nice left hook up top and separates from the clinch i was really really surprised by that i'm like yeah you're having the success on the feet as well might as well take advantage and th those are some nice shots i was like hmm, maybe that's an avenue for success here for shamrock if he continues to do it um but he didn't of course <laughs> ken landed a few right hands then and then found himself in the body lock again um, Oleg ended up rolling through to try to attack for uh, a knee bar, uh, but Ken stuffed the leg immediately. And once again, we're in full guard with Taktarov on the bottom. Um, Ken is putting all his weight on his hands. Uh, this is when I could tell Ken was getting a little frustrated with the groundwork. Um, instead of trying to attack the position entirely, he literally just put um, put his hands right on Oleg's neck. And standing over him and just trying to choke him like that <laughs> looking down on him um and obviously that isn't too effective of a move if you're able to um bridge out in any direction there, there's no choke there anymore and that's exactly what oleg ended up doing um but once again they ended up getting reset again this time at the 27 minute mark so once again we got a 30 minute time period a three minute overtime if it goes to 30 minutes just a reminder um and ken shamrock as soon as they get back on the feet is just lunging in with that right hand but he's missing like he's missing over and over again 
And eventually the third time that he goes in, misses, Oleg counters with a nice slick right hook. I'm like, oh, snap. Like, Oleg knows what's coming, and now he's now he's landing his own shots, which I was surprised by. It didn't do too much to Ken, but still. Um, but Ken keeps going to Old Faithful, grabbing that body lock over and over again, and um, trying to land a left hook off of it. And he did it again. And I'm like, this is the second time now that it worked. Like, why not keep doing it? You go to the body lock, act like you're going to get a takedown, separate, and land a big left hook. Um, but that, that was the last time he ended up doing that. I was calling for it. I felt felt like a, a third coach out there. I'm like, dude, it's working. It's working. Um, but Ken throws a leg kick, forgetting that he has shoes on, because you can't throw kicks if you have on shoes. And Big John just lets him have it, screaming at him. He's like, you can't do that. <laughs> he was super mad. Um, a good, a good reminder, though. Once again, because I, I for a second when I heard him screaming, you can't do that. I didn't get it. Uh, but then I remembered, yeah, if you got shoes on, you can't kick tech. You can't kick at all. Um, but they're on the feet again. And Oleg landed a nice left hook uh, that pissed off Ken Shamrock. Shamrock in response just slapped him <laughs> instead of trying to punch him, just slapped him with a big right hand. Um, and now we're going to overtime. So we're at our 30 minute mark. Uh, we got Ken bleeding a lot from his nose and mouth uh, while Oleg has that cut over his left eye. Both eyes are swollen for Oleg, though, at this point. And both guys got some time to refresh, drink some water. And now we're in the overtime period. So uh, Ken threw some nice combinations uh, for the first time in the fight where he's uh, right hand followed by a left hook, followed by another right hand just literally doing work um on the feet instead of trying to work under for a takedown um oleg ended up clinching up but ate a huge left hook uh from ken i would say that was the best shot of the fight on the feet in the overtime period he he really landed it flush and you could tell i had oleg thinking you know as soon as um that left hand is coming now oleg is ducking under it um, and his, that's exactly what he did. He ducked under it, but once again, Ken's uh, sprawl is just so strong. He'll sprawl, and then immediately Oleg would just uh, pull guard. I'm just like, no, not again. Um, but yeah, made him pull guard, and, and right towards the end, like the last couple of seconds, Ken Shamrock ended up trying to set up a leg lock of his own, uh, but it was too late. The bell rang. And once again, man, I'll say it once, I'll say it again. Well, I've said it once, I'll say it again. Uh, Ken Shamrock got robbed, man. Uh, he ends up getting the draw on his record in this one. But I think against um, <clears throat> against Oleg and before against Hoist Gracie in both those fights, even though they went to the decision, well, the time period really, um, he won those fights. Like he, he was landing the more effective strikes, pushing the action on offense. Uh, you got to give him the, the decision in that one, but obviously there's no decision. So it just considered a draw for both guys, which in my opinion, just sucks. I can't wait till that is over with because then it'll feel like we watched something for a reason. Like um, once it hit like the 20 minute mark, it just felt like Oleg was doing whatever he could to hold on. Um, which sucks, to be honest. But we got through it. <laughs> Feature bout is done. 
And now we're headed to the main event, the finals of the tournament. Paul Varlins versus the king of the streets, Marco Huas. Once again, Paul Varlins standing at a very tall 6'8", 300 pounds. And Marco Huas is 6'1", 210. As soon as the fight starts, once again, you already know what's happening. Paul's running right across to get to, to get his hands on Huas. But the, the, as soon as this happened, I knew with all due respect to Paul Varlins, where this fight was heading. He's running in with both hands stretched out, trying to grab onto Huas. Huas leans back and lands a check, a check left hook and circles away. Like, doesn't even try to follow up, just steps back, lands it, and then starts to walk off in the, at that angle. And I'm like, this man is good. Like, this man is good on the feet. Like... He's not just out there throwing punches. Like he he lands a shot and circles out and gets people following him so that he could do all kinds of nice combinations, which is really cool, man. <clears throat> so um after he landed that left hook, he's, he he has Paul still charging at him and he starts throwing real strong leg kicks to the thigh. Uh, three in a row that landed in the same exact spot really hard that really had me thinking you know this is the game plan keep them moving keep them stay on your bike keep them moving towards you and just punish him punish him for coming in um but once again varlins is relentless uh, he ends up barreling his way in grabbing the body lock and pushing huas up against the fence um, he starts landing some knees to the groin cheeky knees to the groin uh, which I respect. You got to do what you got to do to stay in these fights. Um, eventually, they separated off the fence, and Rua, I said Ruas, Huas landed um, some really nice leg kicks, and then starts retreating behind the jab. So landing the jab, and then and then stepping back off of it. I'm like, this this dude is good, bro. Like I, <laughs> I don't think there's anyone like. I was thinking back about potential matchups. I don't think there's anyone who's not a straight grappler that could give him problems because even like I can, I could picture this guy being Hoist Gracie because even in that matchup, he has the wherewithal in the, in the, in the grappling, but his striking is just on another level. And Don Wilson is agreeing with me on this too. He's like, you know, this is, this is the best striking I've seen all night. And I, I agree. Um, who else is on another level in that way. Um, but once again, just moving back, walking Varlins onto leg kicks, trying to trying to land that big left hook again, but he keeps sort of coming up short. Um, and Varlins is tough, man. He's just coming forward, trying to trying to put the pressure on him, and keeps forcing Huas to actually duck in um, for his, for takedowns of his own. Um, and eventually, as Huas ducked in for a takedown, Varlins grabbed the guillotine, and literally, you could tell this man is gorilla strong this dude just lifted um huas up off his feet by his neck like he, he has him in the guillotine and is literally hanging off the ground uh that's how that's how tall and strong this guy is that he's able to lift him up off the ground by his neck uh crazy but um it wasn't enough to get the tap huas worked his way out of it and then sort of circled off off the fence um, and Varlin started landing some leg kicks of his own, which I really like, man. They always say that, you know, 
just because you find a leg kicker doesn't mean you can't throw leg kicks. <laughs> and literally, it's like, oh, that shit works for you. Let, let's see if it works for me. And it was. Um, every time Varlins would throw that big leg of his, um, you could see it hurt Huas. And, you know, it, it made him want to clinch. So I'm starting to think, you know, that's the answer. You got to keep throwing those leg kicks. Um, but Huaz is landing some knees to the groin, followed by foot stomps in combination, which is hilarious. Just such weird striking, but it's effective. It works. And most importantly, it is annoying. Um, so Huaz takes Varlin's back standing, but can't really do much with it because he's so much taller than him. Like he can't even get a hook in because he's he's seven inches shorter than him. So he can't get his leg into the hip. <laughs> so he's just hanging on his back. Um, and at one point he tries to jump up to do so and just misses entirely. So it looked like a little like a little kid trying to like climb up their sibling or something. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, but couldn't really get onto his back, but was holding onto it for a long time. Um Varlin started landing some nice elbows um, where he's obviously being controlled from behind. So he's trying to throw him back here and land him however he can. Um, not really flush, but once again, annoying shots, shots that hurt, shots that you don't want landing on you, uh, especially as you're uh, working to get a takedown. <clears throat> but eventually, um, Hua starts. Oh, yeah, sorry. Eventually, Big John separated them, and now we're back at distance. And this is not what Varlins wants at all, even though he was in a bad position anyway. Um, Hua starts landing those leg kicks again, straight to the thigh. And Varlins is trying to answer with his own. But you see a, a, at one point, Hua lifts his shin to check um, the leg kick from Varlins. And you could see it hurt Varlins. Like as soon as he kicked um, Huasa Shin, he, he didn't throw that kick again <laughs> for the rest of the fight uh, because that, that hurts, especially if you get it right um, at the right angle, you lift the leg up. Uh, it really hurts. And from the rest of the fight on, he wasn't throwing no more leg kicks, but every time Huas tries to throw a leg kick, he would pick the leg up. So I'm like, I love Varlins, man. He's a, he's a tough dude and adaptable like he's learning how to deal with these strikes during the fight because of what his opponent did to him effectively like that that takes some grit like you you got to be tough as hell where things aren't working for you but you're still learning from your opponent on what you should do to them like that's that's a hell of a grit for sure um but Huas <clears throat> keeps circling off, circling off, landing that leg kick whenever he can, but Varlins is trying to check it. So the the problem that I noticed though is that Varlins would lift the leg up, but he's not turning the foot in, which is what you need to do in order to um, really put that bladed part of the shin forward. Because if not, they're kicking your calf really, um, and and that doesn't hurt them because it's a soft part of the leg. Um, if, if, if you're able to get it up and sort of turn your foot in, um, that's when they start hitting that hard part of the shin at the front. Um, but Varlins didn't know that or couldn't get that done in the moment. So Huas was able to just kick right through those checks. And eventually 
after so many kicks to the same spot, Huas lands a really big one and drops Farlins with the leg kick and followed up with some nasty shots to become the UFC champion, man. At 13 minutes, 17 seconds, this was a long fight, um, but it wasn't boring at all. It was action every second of it and just super technical, man. Marco Huas is a problem. I cannot think of somebody that will lose to him. Um, so I'm excited to see what they have going forward for him, whether it be maybe a potential um, feature bout against Ken Shamrock or, or another tournament. Who knows? But this guy is good and, and good in an all-rounded way that's super scary and, once again, just ahead of his time. Um, I, I haven't been this excited um, watching these events and covering it to see somebody have success because with Hoist, with Ken, with all these guys, don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't like watching them compete or I don't like um, their games. What they do is effective, you know, but at the same time, it's like. No, it's not. No. I hope, I hope my audio hasn't been too bad. Um, but after all this time, um, to see someone who has it all together on the striking and the grappling side, uh, it's just hard to find. And obviously, when I saw it, I was just super impressed. And it's super commendable, you know, so you got to give it up to Marco, who has big respect, looking forward to whatever the next event has in store for us. So quickly, let me go over my um, rewards, not rewards, awards for this event. Um, let me take a sip real quick and we'll get into it. So our fight of the night, we have Larry Curtin versus Marco Huas. I gave it to this one because I felt this one had the most competitive moments while Paul Varlins did have some moments as well. I think this one was more competitive in the way that Larry was landing some big hands and also defending the submissions well and staying, staying on top of things. So I, I gave that my fight of the night. This one, it was hard to pick one because uh, there wasn't really one that stood out as far as a good back and forth fight. Um, so I'm not going to lie. This one's kind of a stretch, kind of a stretch, but Performance of the night, Marco Huas versus Paul Varlins. I've already said enough, just super impressive um, on the feet, on the ground, grappling, mixing it all up. Just a, a very complete performance against someone who's much bigger than, than you. You got to respect that. Knockout of the night, I gave it to Paul Varlins over Gary Harris. Um, there wasn't a size disparity, uh, but just a tenacity disparity for Paul Varlins there. Uh, he really put it on Gary Harris and just forced uh, forced the tap at the end. Um, I hate that my KO of the night had to be a, a submission technically because it's it's a submission to strikes. But still, there wasn't a lot of uh, straight up finishes in this one besides submissions. So once again, when it came down to the submissions for submission of the night, I had a pick of the litter, to be honest. There was a couple of different ones that I could have went with, 
But I got to give all the shine to Marco Huas. I gave, I, I once again have Marco Huas versus uh, Larry Curtin in that spot. So it's two different awards, fight of the night and submission of the night. You got to, you got to give credit where credit is due, man. And once again, I came away super impressed with Marco Huas in this one. But after all this time, it's a beautiful day. Thank you so much for, for listening. If you made it this far, once again, I just really appreciate you for tuning in and taking this journey with me, man, because I'm super excited to continue to learn about UFC history, as well as really see how these fights develop, you know, how these fights all come together. It's it's not simple. And um, these guys really make it easy. The narrative um, going into the next event, there's always something to think about, you know, who they're going to match with who. Um, how will they how will that fight look like um, with the way er- all these competitors have their own styles? You know, it's just a lot to look forward to. So uh, looking forward to the next one. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the next one is not even a numbered event. I think it's 7.5 or something, the ultimate ultimate. So that should be cool. Uh, looking to see what that one's about. If you're interested, uh, please come follow me on Twitter. You could catch me at Negrong MMA. Um, as well as on Instagram at Chris Negron underscore. Please follow the brand. Um, there's so much stuff coming out, whether it be sports, pop culture, music. We got everything for you guys. So check out OTS Media Co. on all social media platforms and then OTS Media on YouTube. Um, and you could get all the podcasts there in video form, as well as all the podcasts on any of the podcast forums that you use, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Music, anything, anything you need. Uh, we, we have our podcast live on those so you could get us whatever way you're comfortable. So thank you so much again, you guys for tuning in. I hope you have a good one and looking forward to talking to you guys again next week. See ya.